it's great to be here today. Um, my family's had a bit of a challenging week. Um, so when we asked for testimonies, you know, um, my, in my myself, I was a bit like, oh, you know, when you're going through a challenging week, maybe you're not, you don't really feel compelled. But actually, um, as I go through my preach today, you, I think I'm, well, remembering back of, of things that I've written, I'm actually stirred that, oh, perhaps I should have stepped forward um, to bring testimony. Um, and that'll make sense, perhaps, as I start. Um, but as you well know, we've been looking through John. Uh, we're doing our preaching series. Um, throughout King's Church, all of our different sites are looking at John. And today, we're on John 8. And John 8 starts with a story. It's the one about the woman who committed adultery. Um, there's some debate, um, if you... Uh, know lots about the Bible, about whether the story originally appears here, but we're not going to get into that debate today. Um, but what we do need to consider as we start to look at John 8 is the change of tone. In John 7, you can read about Jesus' teaching in the temple, and the crowds and the authorities are becoming interested um, in who he is and what he's about. But as I learned reading up on my theological commentaries, John 8 has a much darker tone. Um, Jesus is accusing the Judeans of misunderstanding him and failing to understand him. They're too wrapped up in earthly truths. And in this chapter, Jesus is addressing the very heart of the wrong attitudes. He's addressing where they get their truth from. The themes are not light-hearted. <laughs> um, we hear about judgment, defending the weak, being a witness, justice, and truth. And we're only really going to be focusing on the first half of the chapter. So I'm very sorry if you have after a light-hearted preach this morning. Uh, when I've preached in the past, I think I do focus on joy and love, because um, that's what comes naturally to me. But this chapter is a challenge, and so be prepared to be challenged. And there's so much to learn here. Um, so going back to the story of the woman who committed adultery, um, Jesus is in the temple um, when he's approached by the Pharisees and the teachers of law. And it's a trap. <laughs> uh, Mike wanted me to put a fun meme there, but I didn't think it was appropriate. Um, but they're trying to set a trap for him. They tell him what the law says, that the adulterous woman should be stoned for her crimes. And then they ask him what he says about the woman. And in response, Jesus writes on the ground and he says, um, in verse 7, if you've not already opened up, John, um, please do so. <laughs> so verse 7, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her, to which they leave oldest first. And then Jesus asks the woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? So we're going to go back to some of the specifics of that story, uh, but now we're going to read a bit further in John. We're going to start at John 8, uh, verse 12, and we're going to read a bit of a chunk together. So are we, are we all there? Are we all in John? Excellent. So when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. 
Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are right. Because I'm not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his time had not yet come. Once more, Jesus said to them, I'm going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I'm the one I claim to be. You will indeed die in your sins. Who are you, they asked. Just what I've been claiming all along, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is reliable. And what I have heard from him, I tell you, tell the world. They do not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you've lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be, that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He's not let me, left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. And even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. It's nice to actually read from um, the Bible. I brought my extra large Bible. <laughs> Obviously, the size of your Bible doesn't mean anything, but it just felt really nice reading from um, the text and rather, um, you know, my notes. Um, But this teaching and passage appears after the story of the adulterous woman. And I think the adulterous woman is the perfect example or illustration to go alongside that teaching. They knew what they were doing (laughs) when they laid out the Bible. Um, So we're going to look through this passage and reflect on some key truths which are relevant to discipleship and mission. Um, Because for those of you who've been around, those are the two things that we're really focusing on as a church as we look through John. And handily, the first few verses we've already learned about within our John teaching series. When we look at verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I need a bigger stand when you've got a Bible. (laughs) Um, We've got a clear instruction that flows us back nicely to John 4. And we were lucky enough to have Rian sharing um, about John 4 and how we can be the light of the world. Rian said about how our lives should point to Jesus. She talked about how nothing should stop Jesus from being showcased from our lives. She challenged us to stand up and to be counted, to stand out and speak the good news. Just wait until you see what is possible when you shine your light on the world. 
And what follows for us in this chapter of John is more of Jesus showing us how to overcome some of the problems that he faced in the world whilst shining the light into darkness, how to reflect Jesus with all that we are um, and to make sure we don't have shadows stopping his light shining out like Rian put it. So back in John 8, we, can read, we then read about the Pharisees um, casting doubt over Jesus' words, questioning where his authority comes from. In verse 14, Jesus says he knows where he came from and he knows where he is going. And with that statement, we can also reflect on the preach of last week. Um, Kofo spoke to us about chapter 7. Um, can anyone remember where Kofo said our power comes from? Um, it does. Our power comes from heaven. Perhaps a few of us need to re-listen over that one. Koffer um, did a great job of sharing about where our power comes from. Um, it was quite a challenging message, and he really spoke about some of his past. Um, but through it all, he knew that his power came from his heavenly Father. Um, Jesus knows that he is sent by the Father, and we must understand this too. And we must be aware of our mission as well. So to dig deep, deeper into John, and we're going to land on the next verse, on verse 15. Um, but it's really important what I'm going to speak about today is seen in the context of the fact of Rian's preach being the light of the world and also knowing where our power comes from. What the great thing about doing a series is, is that we can build on teaching so that we're not just looking at the same things again and again and only scratching the surface. Um, so verse 15 says, you judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I'm not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. Judgment can be a big, scary word. Often, I think we always jump to end times when we think about judgment. But there are also everyday judgments that happen too. Or when it comes to the law, there are many different levels of severity when uh, people are judged. One of the dictionary's definitions of judgment is, um, it is the ability to judge, make a decision, or form an opinion objectively, authoritatively, and wisely, especially in matters affecting action, good sense, discretion. Our judgment on situations, our ability to form opinions about things, affects our actions. It affects what we do and how we react to situations. And looking at this verse, it led me back to think about that adulterous woman and to consider how Jesus reacted in that situation. And how Jesus reacted in that situation um, when he was asked to take judgment. Jesus was being tested on so many different levels. Firstly, the punishment for adultery for a woman in that time was to be stoned to death. Uh, but the Romans didn't allow Jews to carry out death sentences. Um, and so Jesus was a Jew, so he wasn't allowed um, to do that. So that could have caused a conflict. But secondly, if he had said not to stone her, he could have been accused of being unsupportive of the law. 
So it's a potential catch-22 situation. But when we consider the fact that Jesus doesn't make his decisions on his own, yet with his father, we can be very assured that he's going to make the right decision. If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Here Jesus is acknowledging the woman's sin, but also questioning questioning the teachers and Pharisees, first getting them to consider whether or not they are without sin. He's questioning their qualifications to judge her. Um, Immediately what came to my mind when I read this is in Matthew 7 verses 5. Uh, Sorry, I think I start at verse 4, 4 and 5. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye while there's still a beam in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the beam out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The first thing that I felt God speak to me about when I read this passage um, was before we reach the lost, and I think it's safe to say that the adulterous woman was pretty lost, um, we need to understand who we are. And with understanding who we are, as well as knowing our identity in Christ, knowing where our power lies, we also have to recognize our own flaws and weaknesses. There have been so many directional words from God recently in our meetings. And it's so easy to sit there listening and to think, yes, God, that word is so relevant for Mike. You know what? When I get home, I'm going to tell him about it. I'm going to WhatsApp him. I'm going to make sure he really knows that that is for him. Um, (laughs) But actually, what we need to be doing first is to more seriously consider if what God is saying is for us personally. You know, I I wasn't actually in the meeting when Rian preached, um, and she brought five different words for five different sets of people. And I wonder how many of you really considered which one was for you. That word is online, and there is still chance to respond to those. Before we can take God's light out, we must seriously consider how we personally need to grow and change, how we can stop our wrong patterns of thinking or everyday sinning. And it's important to note as well that when Jesus says, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her, he isn't just referring to the sin that she committed, the sin of sexual immorality all the large, big, scary sins that come with prison sentences. He's referring to all sin. So in order to see more of God's power and rule and reign in our lives, we must change. We must repent. Even if it is for the first, the second, the fourth, the tenth time, so that we can also say that we know where we came from and we know where we're going. So secondly, through Jesus' handling of the situation with the adulterous woman, he shows great compassion and kindness towards her. The greatest commandment that Jesus gave us is found in Luke 10, verse 27. And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. 
After loving God with all of our hearts, our souls, minds, and strength, we're called to love our neighbors as ourselves. And when Jesus says yourself, Jesus wants to aim to love people as he loves people. As he was the greatest example of doing that. And the story of the adulterous woman is such a practical example of what that looks like. And I think it's an incredible, relevant story for us today in Britain. So let's think about some of the stories that fly across our headlines. We've got the royals with Meghan and Harry, and the ongoing story there of unacceptance, invasion of privacy, and scrutiny of every aspect of their lives. There's also the sad and recent death of TV presenter Caroline Flack, and it caused the UK to post the quote all over social media, in a world when you, where you can be anything, be kind. And that's a challenge right there. If the world is saying, let's be kind, our kindness should be enough to really represent our father. We sing about him being the father of kindness, but what does that really mean? If he is the father of kindness, then as his people, we should be a people who are set apart and recognized by our kindness. Jesus' actions towards the adulterous woman, woman are a statement about how we should treat those around us, regardless of whether or not they are making wrong choices in life. It's not our job to do the judging. Our job is to show mercy as Jesus did. Now, Jesus did acknowledge her sin. He wrote something on the ground that we will never know what it said. And he said, neither do I condemn you. And he declared, go now and leave your life of sin. But Jesus showed mercy and he was kind towards the woman, even though he didn't necessarily agree with her lifestyle. We live in a really diverse area. Um, there are some really deprived areas in Withenshaw, and yet we border Hale and Altrincham. Um, with completely opposite demographics. Manchester is ethnically diverse. Just look at our small um, representation of that. Just look round the room about how different we all are. And isn't it wonderful? But it's our, God, it's our job to shine God's light to all these different groups of people. Our job is to show mercy and kindness to each of these different groups of kindness uh, people, even if, and especially if, they are not the same of, as us. Matthew 28, verse 19, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it goes beyond being kind. Our job is to speak up for those who may not have a voice. The adulterous woman in the passage is referred to as the adulterous woman. As I was writing my preach, I found myself getting tired of saying, the adulterous woman, the adulterous woman, again and again. I almost wanted to give her a different name, but it was very deliberate by John. She's not worthy of being named. 
She's a woman, she's been caught in the act of committing a serious crime and she could be stoned for it. Right now she's in grave danger. She's extremely vulnerable, but yet Jesus sticks up for her. As Proverbs 31.8 puts it, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute, speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. I've been investigating recently a lot into safeguarding. I'm currently the safeguarding officer for King's Church and I've made sure I'm on top of all legislation and information. And 318 just happens to be the name of the advice service that we work with. It's very handy. Um, and it's a fantastic passage for that. It definitely stands um, to represent those kinds of people who need that help. Um, but safeguarding is all about protecting people, particularly those under the age of 18, from harm or danger. Um, and it makes you aware of all the suffering that happens. And while I've been doing some kind of uh, research into training, I've been learning more and more about all the signs of abuse, maltreatment, neglect, and I don't really want to depress you by going through more and more. But it, it upsets me. It changes the entire mood of my day. And it breaks my heart. And it breaks God's heart. And it should break your heart. Our hearts should be broken for the lost as they need to meet their saviour. Throughout verses 12 to 20 of John 8, Jesus is drawing us to the fact that when he speaks, we can be assured that he's speaking the truth. Because he's not speaking alone. He's standing with the full power of God in him, with his father as a witness. And when the lost come amongst us, they may not hear God speaking for themselves. And it's our job to be a witness for God, to stand up and to speak of the goodness that he stands for. To speak of his power and his might, to tell of the testimonies that we have and share the truth. To take Jesus' example and show there is another way. Verse 23 of John 8 says, but he continued, um, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world and I am not of this world. And that's one of my favorite verses. I think we must have said it a lot as a, as a youth. <laughs> and it's an everyday challenge for us. When we take and make that decision to follow Jesus, to get up, to leave our sin behind, and I'd like to think the ad adulterous woman did that because um, we don't actually know what she did in the end. But when we leave our sin behind and follow Jesus, repent and take the new life that he's giving to us, we can be assured that we are no longer of this world. We are heavenly beings. God has clothed us with power from on high and we need to consider how we use that. When you're getting to know somebody, um, a real tell of what they're like is how they treat people that they are close to. Um, 
And you know, I was trying to think about when people come to us, how might they see us? Um, and we've got some really good examples of that within our community. The kids all flock to Rian. And that's because they can see what an amazing job she does of mothering her own kids. There's memory, she's not here today. Uh, it sounded like she's a little bit poorly, so we'll have to make sure we lift her up in prayer. Um, but she's got an amazing ability to care for people. And I have seen um, people go to her for advice because she, she, just, she just emanates it out of her. You can just see that she's got that heart to care for people. And there's Matthew. And if there is a problem that needs to be solved, Matthew will go above and beyond to solve that for you. He will stop at nothing. There is no mountain too high for Matthew. And so when people come amongst us, the first thing that they might look at um, to judge how we might relate to them with is how we treat each other. I've got quite a large extended family, and through them I have learned the skills of generosity and kindness. I've learned what it looks like to live in a family that rely on each other, will come running to help when times get hard. But when God calls us to reach the lost, he's not necessarily calling us to reach people that look like us. With a cozy family who know what love looks like. He's calling us to reach a broken people who are looking for us to be the family that they need, the family that they can come running into. They want to find someone who's going to drop everything to help them, like Matthew does, to show mercy on them, to defend them. Take a look around at the people with you here today and consider, are these people my family? Do you know them on a family level? Would you come running if they called? And family is not convenient. In fact, I don't think it ever <laughs> is convenient. Um, my sister-in-law, hopefully she won't listen back to this, um, she messaged us the other day to be like, oh, do you want to come out for dinner? Um, and what she actually, well, what ended up happening is it, it was her coming round to our house for dinner <laughs> um, in the end. And then there was a very short time space in which she had to eat dinner because she's got something else to do. And when she arrives, she, she, you know, she throws her clothes all over my house, she makes a mess. But that's family. It's messy. And you do have to rearrange to make family happen. Um, I've not mentioned this because it's not really important, but it was great that Rian and James opened up their house to everyone last week, and it was tea and toast at, I think it was four o'clock. And for me and Mike, we had to rearrange because we normally have our evening meal um, at five o'clock. And so actually we had to think about it, right? If we want to make it, you know, we're going to have to have our main meal at lunchtime. And although that's a small thing, 
it, it's showing you know, our commitment to family, our commitment to meeting with people and to rearranging things to make family happen. And it's not uncommon for people to care for people like a family when they're not related. You see that happening in the world a lot. I've got some really close friends who uh, we went to sixth form together and they've stayed in touch a lot better than I stay in touch with them, but they are like a little family. They've got their own kind of bond family unit. But the thing that really sets us apart is that we are God's people. We are filled with his spirit, with it living inside of us and everyone is invited. Verse 28 of John 8 says, So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I, will, for I always do what pleases him. And even as he spoke, many believed in him. Although today we focused on thinking about how we can reach the lost, it's all balanced on the truth of understanding and knowing who Jesus is. Only when we've lifted him up, we will be able to speak what the Father has taught us. Only when we lift him up, will we be able to consider our own faults and how he will help us to overcome them. Only when we've lifted him up will we be able to show kindness, love, and mercy as he did. Only when we've lifted him up will we be the church that looks like the bride of Christ. We're not in this alone. He will never leave us. And we are to be a family like he's calling us to. And as we speak out his truth and act in a way that reveals his truth, it will bring his light. <laughs>